0: Canon Press presents the weekly sermon from Christ Church, Moscow, Idaho. Copyright 2019. If you would like to find out more about Canon Press materials and products, please call 1 800 488 2034. For a complete list of our products or to order online, please visit our website at canonpress.com. Enjoy the sermon. The text this morning is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. These are the words of God. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Our Father and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for gathering us together like this today. I pray that your spirit would be active in our midst and that he would apply this word to our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our families, our situation. Father, we ask for this in the name of Jesus, and amen. Amen. So we are working through 1 John in uh, a series of topical uh, messages, and I want to remind you where we've been. We, as, a, as members of a fallen race, we want things, we desire things, we are hungry for things, we want, we desire, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of of life which the apostle john defines as worldliness don't love the world or the things in the world and then he defines what he's talking about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life so what we want is the world seized by us grabbed by us outside the framework of god's character now remember our first parents who succumbed to a temptation of worldliness the the fruit was uh, pleasant to look at, it was good to eat, and it was going to make them wise. That was a temptation to worldliness. Our first parents had been offered by God the whole world, so it seems to me that if you are given the world, then a temptation to get the world would be, yeah you know, what, what's the sense in that? Well, worldliness is wanting that world on your own terms. If God grants it, if God gives the world, He's giving it on His terms if we seize it if we grab it we're taking it on our own terms this is what worldliness is if we if we reach for the world on our own terms outside the framework of God's law word outside the framework of his character outside the framework of his holy attributes we are being worldly now because we want to be unrighteous in this way but because we also want the reputation of righteousness. We want the reputation of righteousness to others. And we also want to have a reputation of righteousness to ourselves. We want to have our own self reputation and we want to be righteous in our own eyes. The only solution, therefore, if we want to be unrighteous and worldly and we want the reputation of righteousness, that means that somebody has got to lie, we have to deceive ourselves. We have to lie to ourselves. And so we considered the first week, we considered the lust, the, the lust and the wanting that we have in this world. The second week, we considered the problem of lying. Because we want to be righteous and unrighteous at the same time, we have to lie to ourselves. And so that's a problem. So, however much we lie, we cannot cross the chasm that exists between our death and God's life. There is no splitting the difference here. We're not talking about any twilight uh in this arrangement it's either god's light or it's the world's darkness it's either light or it's darkness and there's no way that there's no way to split the difference the only way to have that life is to receive the gift of god's life that transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light so the only way to have that life is to receive it as a gracious gift of god and we've considered that in the in the final analysis god has nothing to give us but himself God does not, we sometimes want to separate the giver and the gifts, but God never does. God never separates himself from the gifts that he is giving. So, we must never forget the character of the one who gives us this life. So, we want things, we lust after things, we are self-deceived, we lie to ourselves because of that. The only way to get out of this trap is to be liberated from that death trap, by god's grace and brought into life and when we come into that life we are coming into the life that is light itself so i want to consider this week the word light in first john this passage in chapter 1 verse 5 contains one of the few succinct definitions of god that is found in scripture where the writer tells us god is xyz uh, there's Jesus tells us, for example, another instance of this, uh, Jesus tells the woman at the well, for example, that God is spirit. In John 4, 24, it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Because God is a particular way, we must pro- approach him in a particular way. God is spirit, so we must worship him in spirit and in truth. We have something similar here. God is light. We must approach him in the light. In this passage we're told that God is light because he is light it follows that in him there is no darkness at all as it tells us here this is not a theological triviality John declares it as integral to his message this is the message he says we have heard from him this is the message this is it let me wrap it all up this is the message we've heard from him this is the message we declare to you God is light God is light. This is not a side issue. This is crucial, in other words. Now, this is no no hard, cold, severe light in itself, but we have to distinguish those who encounter it. There are two different kinds of people who encounter God's light. It is cold, hard, and severe to those who reject it. God's light is not cold, hard, and severe in itself, as we're going to see shortly, But for those who resist it, those who fight it, those who don't want to have anything to do with it, it is severe. And this is the condemnation, it says in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, verses 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation. So we're about to read that the condemnation is light. This is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil Hateth the light neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved The light reveals things that we don't want to have revealed the light shows up things that we don't want to have shown up The light shines on things that we would rather not have in the light And so we react away from it. We, we, we shy away from it. It's hard cold and severe for us But but to those who receive the light God gives them the privilege of becoming children of god we see that in john 1 12 to as many as received him he gave the privilege to become children of god this light and it's the same light this light is unmitigated good news that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world john 1 9. so this is good news this is a good message this is this is happiness itself john introduced this thought in the previous verse back in first john In the previous verse, when he said, these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Right before he tells us, this then is the message, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. This is the message. Well, why is he giving us this message? The previous verse he says, and these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. God is light, and those who are in fellowship with that light are happy people. God is light and those who are in fellowship with light that light are happy people. Now, when I say happy, I don't mean a, a superficial frothy happiness. I'm not talking about a happy happy joy joy sort of experience. I'm not talking about the kind of thrill you might get at a junior high pep rally. I'm talking about deep bedrock joy, deep bedrock happiness. God is light and those who walk in fellowship with that light are happy their joy is full john says i write this to you so that your joy may be full their joy is full their joy is overflowing to use the apostle peter's expression of this it is joy inexpressible and full of glory first peter 1 8. it doesn't matter what kind of a poet you are you could be the greatest poet ever and you wouldn't be able to get it into a poem it doesn't matter if you're the greatest songwriter that ever lived you wouldn't be able to fit it joy inexpressible, joy that a finite creature cannot contain joy inexpressible and full of glory this light, that is God is the holiness of God and this holiness, again to those who are gifted with the reception of it, is the bedrock of all true happiness, the bedrock of all true joy because that bedrock, that holiness, that happiness, that joy is God himself And he doesn't change. So, this light that is God, this light that is the holiness of God, is the bedrock of all true happiness. And the verse that follows, verse 6, is a verse that emphasizes the problem of lying and self deception again. Those who claim to have fellowship with the light while walking in darkness are lying, it says. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth they are not doing the truth now this is important for us to remember the the refusal to walk in the light is an activity that, that can occur in holy places it can occur in church it can occur in Christian communities it can occur in Christian families why well can people hate can one person hate another person in church Yeah, churches are full of that kind of acrimony. Churches, all kinds of churches have blown apart because people did not love one another. That means there are people walking in the darkness in church. Now, the church is is to be a place of light and a well-ordered church, a a church generally that, that serves the Lord is going to be a lampstand, but that doesn't mean that everybody associated with that lampstand is in the light. Now, near the end of this short chapter in 1 John, we are told that if we confess our sins, in verse 9, we're told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, that is, the ones we confessed, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful, not if we confess our sins, good job, because you're faithful and just. No, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive the sins, what sins? The ones you just confessed, and then on top of that, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now let's assume for a moment that we've got a backslidden Christian. He's not confessed any sins for ten years. He's just—he's just—he's got gunk all over him. He's—he he's tr- was truly converted, but he got into sin and he didn't—and he didn't confess his sins. He wasn't keeping short accounts. He's all gunked up, and there's ten years of that. Now let's say that God gets a hold of him at some particular point and shakes him. And he confesses his sins for the first time, the ones that he sees, the ones ones that he's aware of, the ones that he knows about, the things that have been on his conscience. And he confesses all of those sins honestly, openly, and without clinging to any of them. He just cleans house with everything he knows. God, here I am. Now, do you think he got them all? There's 10 years. Do you think he named everyone? Ten years of living in sin. Do you think he got into all the nooks and crannies? Do you think he cleaned out all the closets? Do you think he got down into the sump pump in the basement? Do you think he got into everything? No conceivable way. But, here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, the ones he confessed, and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. God is the one who gets into the nooks and crannies. God's the one who deals with all those things. What's happening here is the person who confesses is not dealing with all of his sins, every last one, exhaustively. But he is, for the first time in a long time, dealing with the sins he knows about honestly, and there's no way to confess the sins you know about honestly while simultaneously holding on to sins that you don't know about. If you confess your sins honestly, if you acknowledge your sins honestly, God's going to take care of the rest of it. And if there's anything down in the basement if there's anything in the closet that needs to be put right Restitution needs to be made. God will bring it to mind. God will God will put it in front of you and then you can deal with it So this is what we see in in 1 9 the word for confess is homologeo, Which means to speak the same to speak the same thing uh, Coming from Latin homo means man, but in Greek homo means the same so homo sapiens is, is referring to man Homologeo is from the Greek. It means the same. Legeo is the verb to speak, and the, the noun is logos. Logos school is named after the word. So logos is the word, logeo is to speak. Homilageo is to speak the same thing. God calls it something and you don't call it something else. God calls it something and you say yes and you call it the same thing. You acknowledge. You deal with it the, you deal with it the way God deals with it. God says that was theft and you say that was, you don't say that was inadvertent borrowing. He, he's, he says that was a lie. you don't say it was creative prevarication. You, you don't do spin control. Spin control is actually a vain attempt at sin control. To confess your sins means therefore to acknowledge your sins freely and honestly. Now, this is important. When you're dealing with your sins honestly, what are you doing? You're dealing with them in the light. That's what walking in the light is all about. The consequence of this kind of confession is that God cleanses us, and the word there is catharizo, and we get the word catharsis from it. Catharsis is a cathartic cleansing, is a cleansing, it's a release. Uh, Catharizzo is God cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess, our sins honestly God cleanses us from all unrighteousness but notice that two verses earlier walking in the light has the exactly the same result the same consequence in 1 7 it says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin in 1 9 We are cleansed from all unrighteousness in 1 7 we are cleansed from all sin and the thing that brings this result about is confession of sin in 1 9 and walking in the light in 1 7. they both result in the same consequence they both both result in the same outcome and john's talking about them two verses apart i would submit to you that he's talking about the same thing walking in the light means walking honestly in the light of who god is walking in him And not clinging to your own righteousness not clinging to your own definitions so if we walk in the light god cleanses us the blood of jesus cleanses us from all sin if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus cleanses us katharizo again from all sin now i want you to notice that your horizontal relationship with other believers is dependent upon your vertical relationship to god if you're walking in the light as he is in the light if your relationship with him is right then your relationship with fellow believers who are walking in the light is also right draw a triangle of god's at the top of the triangle and you're here and your your brother or sister's here the closer you get to god the closer by definition you're getting to each other you can't get closer to god without getting closer to one another so walking in the light is walking honestly before God. Walking in light is walking in God, knowing, knowing what he is like. And that means you can't cling to your own self-deceptions. You can't cling to your own definitions. You can't refuse to confess sin because you've got the workarounds in your mind. So put all this together. If you are not walking in the light, you are walking in darkness. Again, no twilight. If you're not walking in the light, You're walking in darkness if you are walking in the darkness you are telling yourself lies verse six if you're walking in the darkness the reason people walk in the darkness is they want to lie to themselves down there that's that's the advantage darkness has remember what we read from the gospel of john men shy away from the light why because their deeds are evil they they pull away from the light because they don't want the light to reveal what they're actually like if you are in the darkness if you are in the darkness you can't see any of your own sin down in there right you you can then tell yourself that you have no sin if you're down in the dark you can tell yourself that everything is actually going pretty good you convince yourself that this is true because you can't see it like well, i don't see any sin that's because you don't see anything right you can't see sin because you're in the dark but if you do that then John says you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. If you come into the light, if you confess your sin, then you are cleansed but you're cleansed on God's terms, not on your own. You can go into the dark and say, I am clean. You can go into the dark and say, I have no sin. Go into the dark and say, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You can go in the dark and and talk that way and, quote unquote, cleanse yourself. Or you can come into the light and have God cleanse the sin now if you come into the light not only are you cleansed but you are also now in fellowship with anyone else who has been cleansed for once seven. the horizontal fellowship with others is simply a gift so you find yourself in fellowship with people that you couldn't abide before you find yourself in fellowship with people who really got on your nerves before this happened when you were converted and it also happens when you get right with god the horizontal Fellowship is a consequence of a restoration of vertical fellowship. Now, if your automatic reflex, if your automatic reflex is to assume that you're not in fellowship with someone else because they are still walking in darkness, then you have said something that could be true technically, but probably isn't. Okay? If you say, well, I would be in fellowship with them if they were walking in the light. Now, I'm walking in the light. Look, I'm I was doing good all day. I was doing good all week. They are the person who, they are being difficult. They're not walking in the light. Now, on paper, if we sketch this out on paper, that could be true. There are, I've seen situations where a godly, conscientious Christian uh, was following Paul's uh, admonition as far as it's possible with you, remain in peace with all men. They, there's disruption of fellowship, they pursue the other person, they pursue them humbly, they do, all, they, they do all of that, and the other person isn't having any, and you can say, well, in this instance, can I say that I'm not in fellowship with this person because they're not walking in the light? Yes, that's, that happens. That happens. But notice I said at the beginning, if your automatic reflex is to assume that that's what's going on, you are almost certainly wrong. Almost certainly. Right, this is because we all look at the world through our own eyeballs, we all look out of the world from our own perspective, we are all the protagonist in our own movie, and everybody else is the antagonist. Everybody else is they're the ones who ganged up on you, right? They're the ones who conspired to give you a bad day. And so you think, oh, they're not walking in the light. If they were in the walking in the light, then I'd be doing better. Now, in this sinful world, What is easier than to assume that the dislocations of relationship are always automatically the other person's fault? But maybe we should sometime try a heart maneuver that couldn't be duplicated by the devil himself. Lord, am I the problem? Now, the devil is not going to be the devil. Can the devil accuse others? Yeah, the devil devil is the accuser. The devil knows how to say, and carnal men and women know how to say, you're the problem. That is fleshly. That's something that non-Christians can attain to. That's something that carnal Christians can attain to. Anybody in the world can say, you're the problem. I think you're the one with the problem. That's easy. Is it possible to say, Lord, am I the problem? Am I the one that is getting in the way? Am I the one who's getting underfoot? Am I the one blowing up this relationship? Am I the one, am I the difficulty? And I mean just simply putting it on the table and say, Lord, I'm willing to discuss this as an option, not saying it's true, but I'm willing. Is it? Is it true? Now, remember, there are two kinds of prayers you don't want to pray. There are the prayers that you don't want to pray because you're afraid that God won't answer them. If you pray for a Ferrari, if you pray for to win the lottery, if you pray for, you're afraid to pray that kind of prayer because you know it's a carnal prayer, you know it's a selfish prayer, and you know that the archangel Gabriel is not going to deliver 10 freezers full of like your favorite ice cream that's that's not going to happen you're not going to ask for it because god's going to say no but there's another kind of prayer that you're afraid to pray and that's the prayer where you're afraid god will say yes lord show me if i'm the problem not on your life am i going to pray that prayer because god might say yes thank you for bringing this up finally i've been working on you for some years now see i'm not going to risk that that's a Lord, am I the problem? Now I'm betting with my money. I want to go through life betting with other people's money. So, say that a man is walking in darkness, and his sole comfort in that dark place is something he takes for a teddy bear, his precious, which he strokes as he walks along. But it is not a teddy bear at all, but rather a 10-pound tarantula. Now, you might wonder uh, how such a mistake is possible, but I can assure you, That it is possible. Remember how dark it is down there. And it's astonishing how many people, counselors, biblical pastors, people who are serving, they're they're trying to help people. It's astonishing how many people they encounter who are stroking this baby, this giant baby tarantula. And it's their precious. It's the, I can't let this go. I can't, this is is my only, only comfort. Remember how dark it is. When you're in the dark, you can tell yourself pretty much anything. Confession of sin Is to flip on the lights And to walk in that light You see the sin for what it is And you throw it away from your chest With an anguish Gah! It's not a teddy bear Who told me it was a teddy bear You told yourself it was a teddy bear Everybody, everybody in your life was trying to tell you That you've got this has got to go You want no more to do With your great oversized domesticated spider That's what it is And it's not your friend Now, it's either that, it's either throwing it away from you in repentance, in true evangelical repentance, or returning to the darkness and the grotesque comforts, and they really are grotesque, and they really are comforting, that can be found in that darkness. The the darkness contains grotesque comforts. And just as when we walk in light, we have fellowship with one another, people in the dark have fellowship. I call it the fellowship of the grievance. The fellowship of the grievances. People, they've got this thing going, and it's eating them. And they, and they find quick. They find somebody in the dark who has the same bad attitude. It might be, might be somebody who's got a bad attitude about something completely different. But they share the grievance, and they can talk about. Yeah, what I said to him. I said this. I and I and I said the other thing. And yeah, yeah, I have the same experience with someone in a completely different situation. But the thing we have in common is that we're both annoyed, irritated, angry, malicious, spiteful and this is our special bond. And we can't tell because we're in the dark. And we talk about how right we are, how correct, how how visible and manifest it is. No. Bring it down to to concrete, practical, tangible relationships. Remember that to walk in the light is to walk in the way that God is. Walking in the light is walking in the way that God is. Again, God has nothing to give you but himself. If God gives you something, he is giving you himself with it. If God is giving you life, he, he gives himself with that life. He gives you breath, he gives himself with that. If he gives you new life, he's giving himself. All of this is God's offer of himself. And if we want to separate the giver from the gifts, we are wanting to sever the gifts from the source of any comfort that they might uh, provide. So, you're walking, in, if walking in the light is walking in the way God is. To walk in the light, as, as John says here, as he is in the light, is to walk in Christ's light. Is to walk in Christ's light. You are abiding in him. You are dwelling in light that has a personality. This is not like dwelling in an electrical force field. It's not like dwelling in a magnetic force field. You're not dwelling in something impersonal. You are dwelling in light. That has a personality, mind, will. You're dwelling, and you're walking in light that loves you. Again, you are not working, not walking in a material, impersonal substance. You are not walking in a force. You are walking in a person. You are abiding in a person. You are abiding in the second person of the Trinity by the power of the Spirit who brings you to the Father. And so what does this light look like? looks like love and it does not look like malice it does not taste like that accurate bitter taste in your mouth as we started with lust and we moved to lying and then we moved to life and now we're talking about light in the in the concluding message in this series it's, we're going to talk about love and love is the full bloom of the rose well the, the that's when the rose is completely open and we see that god is love also god is light and god is love so, walking in the light does not feel nasty. It doesn't feel gross. It doesn't feel acrimonious. It's not like that. 1 John chapter 2, 8 through 10. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him, and because in you, and, and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. The true light now shineth. He that saith he's in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness, even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So, as long as you're in the darkness, you can chalk definitions lengthwise, and you can say that you do love her. I, I do, too, love her. You can say that you do love him. And the him or her might be your spouse, might be your roommate, might be a wayward kid, might be an uh, irritating next-door neighbor. You, can, you might say, but I, but I do love him. Well, then the question is, why are you miserable? Why are you miserable? Why are you unhappy? See, God does not, this is, I, let me tell you how God does not govern the world. God does not govern the world in such a way as to have someone else sin and have you lose your joy. That's not how it works if someone sins that doesn't affect you if someone sins against you that doesn't affect you It affects you when you respond sinfully, but if they sin against you, what do you do? Well, we take uh, Paul and Silas and Philippi were they sinned against yeah, they were sinned against in multiple ways Paul's rights as a Roman were violated. They were attacked for the faith. They were they they delivered a slave girl from uh, from uh, demonic possession they they were they were there in Philippi doing good things and they were sinned against and they were sinned against repeatedly and they were flogged and then they were thrown into prison and did they lose their joy because other people sinned against them no they were in prison singing hymns in prison singing songs to God so when someone sins against you and you lose your joy that's not because they sinned if they sinned, and you lose your joy, it's because you retaliated in some way. You responded in some way. You said, oh yeah, well I'm going to come right back at you. So you might say, oh, I do love that person. That, that, that person who makes my life miserable. Now, if you're in the joy of the Lord, if you're walking in the light, then that's not what's happening. I'm not saying if someone, someone can make your life difficult, someone, someone else's sin can make your life challenging, and then they can make your life difficult but if they're making your life miserable then you are helping to make your life miserable if you're bitter as i've, as I've said before quoting someone else bitterness is like eating a box of rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die you, you think you think that your response of sinfulness that your sinful response is going to somehow equal make things equal it's like It's like they they came up and kicked you in the head and you're trying to figure out a way to kick yourself in the head too. It doesn't, no. If you say you do love that other person, you are loving, you are forgiving that other person, why are you miserable? Why are you unhappy? When you're in the dark, every word that you look up in a self-justifying dictionary is pitch black. All the words are black down there. All the words are in the dark. You can't see, you can't understand because you're in the dark. If you're in the light you love if you're in darkness you don't love if you're in the darkness you're responding with malice hatred envy bitterness recriminations that and and i we're not talking about you some we're, we're not trying to get up into some theological 17th dimension so that we can look at all the math that lies behind love and hate or all the math that lies behind light and darkness this is not A higher level, 17th dimension thing. Look at chapter uh, 2, 8, and 9. A new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother. This has to do with Smith, or Murphy, or Jones, whoever it is. Whoever it is that, that if I'm bringing up imaginary names like this, you're filling in certain names. Certain faces come up in your mind, and in your heart. This has nothing to do with 17th dimension theology and it has everything to do with that person that you're not loving That person that you're not responding to with kindness. So All the words are black down there. Christ is our light. We're talking about Christ light l-i-g-h-t not Christ light l-i-t-e Ephesians 5 14 says this but again this light is a person So Ephesians, Arise, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Christ can't shine on you without you seeing things. If if, if the sleeper wakes up and Christ shines, then you can see things you didn't see before. In Psalm 36, verse 9, it says, For with thee is the fountain of life. That's last week's message. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. What enables us to see light? God's light. The light that is God. The light that he is. But this light, this light is light that overwhelms all of our senses. This this is not a narrow, truncated thing. Pinpoint light. This is light that overwhelms all of our senses. It is light you can drink like it was a cold mountain stream. It is light that fills the house with the aroma of spiritual bread baking. And then it tastes like that same bread, still hot enough to melt the butter. It is light that cascades over your head like an infinite bolt of unrolling, invisible silk. It is light that is breeze off the ocean. It is symphonic light with an orchestra and choir made up of myriads of angels and their billions of human understudies. figure the first couple million years, the angels are going to be teaching us how to sing. That's what the light is like. This is light you can drink. Light you can taste, light you can eat, light you can hear, light you can see, light you can feel, light you can touch. This is a light that invades all of your senses, but particularly the sense of hearing. This is the light that is being preached to you now. Light is being declared to you. Light is ministered to you through the word. This is the light, basically, Martin Luther once said, the, the only Christian organ really is The ear. The, the word He was emphasizing the word. The word comes, and we hear the word. The light is preached to you, and so it is light you can hear. This light is the word. So, he who has ears to hear, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him see. But this is the issue. This is the unapproachable light that you cannot see for brightness. And at the same time, it's the cool, clear light by which you are enabled to see everything else. God dwells in unapproachable light. You, you can no more go there than you can go to the center of the sun. Are you kidding? What kind of goggles would you have to wear to get close to the sun? You, God dwells in unapproachable light. And the sun gives us a small, piddling, pitiful image of that. God dwells in unapproachable light. At the same time cool, clear light, by which you are enabled to see everything else. But when you see everything else, you must especially see your brother and sister. You must especially see your brother and sister. If we are walking in the light, we regard no one after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. I can assure you that if you can't see your brother and sister rightly, then what you're using for eyes need to be taken back to the worldview shock. Paul says in Corinthians there, 2 Corinthians, that we used to regard Christ after the flesh. We used to think that he was God incarnate. He came down and dwelt among us. We used to think of Him that way. And we still should. He's truly human. But we can't be limited to that anymore because he's ascended into glory. And Paul says we don't consider Christ after the flesh anymore. We are worshiping a universal cosmic Christ, a resurrected Christ, one to whom all honor, dominion, and authority has been given. But then Paul says because we don't regard christ in the same way anymore we cannot regard anyone else in the same way anymore we regard no man after the flesh no one can be regarded the way we we used to regard them if you took the most disheveled disreputable c-minus christian you ever knew I right, the Someone who's just gonna make it into heaven with his coattails on fire. He's gonna barely make it right. Barely make it angel with the fire extinguisher Good to have you here that was close All right. Let's say the, the most miserable wretched poor excuse lousy excuse for a Christian you ever met If you met them when they as the hymn says when they've been there ten thousand years bright shining as the Sun if you met that Christian then now you would be tempted to fall down and worship You would be tempted to treat them like a god or a goddess You would be tempted to treat them like the way the Apostle John falls down before the great angel in Revelation He says don't do that. I'm a fellow servant or Cornelius falls down before Peter He says no, I'm, I'm a man like you but the most messed up Christian that you've ever met when he is glorified When he is glorified if you saw him now if you saw her now You would be tempted to fall. You'd be tempted. It'd be a temptation. But you would be tempted to fall on your face and adore. And they wouldn't let you, but that'd be the temptation. Now, Paul says we learn not to regard anyone after the flesh. We know that that's what God has in store for everyone. The sufferings that we're going through now, Paul says, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed, where? In us. Now, that means that you have never, uh, as, as C.S. Lewis says in one of his essays, you've never dealt with a mere mortal. You've never dealt with someone who is simply what they look like. Don't consider anybody that way. Don't consider anyone after the flesh. Why? Because Christ died and rose, ascended into heaven. So, if you can't see your brother and sister rightly, then you're not, it's not walking in the light the way you ought to. If you see Christ... That means you can see all the rest of us, rightly. If you see Christ, that means you can see everyone else rightly. And this is the new commandment. And of course, it is not a new commandment at all. John says, this is the new commandment. The darkness, thats that way of running this planet is done. He said in chapter two, that way is all gone now. A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, And the true light now shineth. Daybreak was 2,000 years ago, and the sun is now 10 degrees above the horizon. That's where we are in human history now. That's what we need to go with. We're not going to live in the dark anymore. Put on, as Paul says in Ephesians, the armor of light. So if you see Christ, that means you can see all the rest of us rightly. This is a new commandment. Of course, it's not a new commandment at all. The Father has always been this way. Christ is always the same, always the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And the Holy Spirit ushers us into this palace of light so that we may live there forever. And live there forever at peace. Because we're living there in Christ. And he is the light. And because we're in him, we, and we recognize that we are all together in him, we can love one another. That's given to one another. It's a sheer gift. Because our Christ is our light. Our Father in God, we thank you for your kindness to us. I pray that as we meditate on these things, that you would help us see the areas where we need to put them into practice. I pray that your spirit would be at work in this, and I pray, Father, if there's any malice or hatred or lack of forgiveness or striving or animosity or envy here in this room, that you would take the sponge full of light and wash it all away.